We are continuing our fire series, and I want to let you know that this week um, is a continuation of last week. And if you missed last week, you're still fine. Uh, this, this sermon will entirely make sense, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon in the fire series, because uh, last week we talked about uh, the great white throne judgment and the fact that everyone will have to stand before God and will be judged, did we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Did we repent of our sins or not? And the Bible says in that moment, those that accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those that have done that, the Bible says your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. We talked about this last week, and the, the key thing is to get your name in that book. You want your name in there, because if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible says you're spending eternity with God in heaven, paradise. It's yours. If your name is not in the book of life, the Bible is very clear that you will spend uh, your eternity in the lake of fire, separated from God, uh, in this eternal punishment, and we don't want anyone to go there. It wasn't even created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels, fallen angels, but yet when you don't repent of your sins, the Bible is very clear that there's a punishment for that. But it's the amazing thing is you can get into the book of life by simply asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, forgive you of your sins, and accepting the price that he paid on the cross. And if you do that, you get in the book of life. And uh, last week in the sermon, I said this doesn't motivate us to go out and tell people like, turn or burn. You know, that is not an effective evangelism strategy. How many know that? It doesn't work, okay? But it should motivate us that we know the truth and we should do like uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 23 talks about snatching people out of the fire. We should be out snatching people out of the fire, rescuing them from the lake of fire and saying, we know that God loves you and you need to get in on this. It's our responsibility to share that message with you. Now, I want to let you know that as we continue this, we have the great white throne judgment, uh, but then we have a new judgment that's going to take place for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. Those of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior will have an additional judgment. And although the great white throne judgment is a pass-fail, you're either in the book or not in the book. You're either in heaven or in the lake of fire. It's a pass-fail. This judgment that we're going to face, that we're going to talk about today, where our works will be tried by fire and checked to see how pure they are, this judgment is not a pass-fail. This is one that will be graded according to the quality of what we do. Okay? So I'm going to be very clear. It's not A's, B's, C's, and F's like that. It's more like the quality of a diamond or the quality of gold. Like, what value is it? It's going to be quality. Is it worth something or is it worthless? And so every one of us is going to face this judgment. And I want to let you know, as your pastor, I want to make sure that this day is good for you. I want to make sure that when you stand before God and he judges everything you did on this earth after you knew him as Lord and Savior, that that is a good day for you, that he can judge what you did and say you did a lot and it was with good motives and you have a reward for this. So I want you to understand this. There is a day that we're going to face judgment as followers of Jesus Christ. So we should pay attention to this and make sure that we make that a good day. So I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and then I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. That's why we call it 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He's writing these letters to them and helping the church to grow, helping them to correct error. And he's writing to the church at Corinth. And so we're going to read what he says because he gives us an insight 
into this judgment that's going to take place. And the first passage is going to be spot on. It's going to make total sense. The second passage is going to have a little bit that's going to make sense, but I need to read it because I'm going to come around to it at the end of the sermon, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. It's on the screen for you to follow along. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one, other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me read this starting in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things well done in this body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We will try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all those that who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is telling us our works are going to be tried by fire. The things we do as believers are going to be scrutinized, and God's going to look at that, and he's going to burn them up and decide what's good and what's bad. Now, this made total sense to the Corinthian believers and to the Corinthian church because they had just endured a big fire. So in the town of Corinth, they had just endured a, a big fire, and what had happened, everything that was made of, of things like marble and granite and gold and precious stones, it endured the fire. But the things that were made of wood, hay, and stubble were burned up and destroyed. And so they would have like marble columns standing where all the wood was gone and only the marble was left and it was making total sense to them. Okay, so you're saying that God's gonna decide what's really valuable and what's not valuable. And so they're making sense of this. Paul also feels the need to do this for the church there because they were getting prideful. They were starting to say, like, we're a pretty amazing church. We're doing pretty great things. We've got a lot of spiritual gifts going on. We're good givers. We're good servers. And they're doing it from a, a prideful position. And so Paul's saying, you're doing all the right things, but you're starting to reek of pride. And when you have a wrong motive, God's going to burn that out. And it's not the way he wants you to live. So he's rebuking them. He's kind of telling them that you got to pay attention. And he's using an illustration that makes sense to them. Now, I want to be very clear when I talk about this judgment. I want to circle back to something I said earlier, but I want to be very clear. This judgment that is going on is for believers. You are already in heaven. 
You cannot work your way into heaven. You get into heaven by grace through faith. You receive that, and that has already been settled. This is a believer's judgment. And in this this judgment that's going on, you're in heaven. Now, some of you may think, well, then who cares? You know, like I'm in, right? You know, I got a ticket to the game. I'm in. Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Okay, you're going to understand why those works are important. But I wanted you to know, your works do not get you into heaven. Once you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, though, it's important to do these works, and it's important to do these works with the right motive because there's something that's going to happen. There's going to be a day where what you do on this earth matters. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're thinking, I can just sit back and not worry because I got a ticket to the game, you cannot think that way. You know, and many of you, how many know when you go in, even if you're sitting in the cheap seats, you're like, I wish I was in the better seats, you know? All right, so you want to be somebody that says, I want to be there. I don't want to just barely get in. I want to do the, everything I can to have the best possible moment when this happens. Now, the judgment seat that Paul talks about was called the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, Bema seat. And I want to be clear on this as well. Great white throne judgment that we talked about last week was judgment in, out. There's a punishment going on. The Bema seat that he's talking about now, it's only rewards. It's only rewards. So don't think that you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to be angry at you in this moment. Instead, what he's going to do, the Bema seat was where the ruler would sit and he would watch. And you'd come up and you'd say, I won the battle for you and for the kingdom. And he'd say, that's amazing. This is what it's worth to me that you won the battle. And he would give you a reward. You would say, I won the Olympic game or whatever it was. I won the game, the athletic game, and I won it for our country. I was the best. And the ruler would say, great job. Here's what that's worth to me. And he would give you a gift. So Paul's telling us there's going to be a day that God's going to judge what you do, and he's going to reward you. So again, it's not a punishment it's, it's, it's not intended like that. It's a test. It's a moment where he's going to give out prizes and rewards to you. And he's going to base this on what you did and why you did it. What you did and why you did it. He's going to judge the motive of the why of what you did. Now, again, I can hear some of you thinking like, wait a minute. Okay, I used to do bad things and then Jesus saved me and now I do good things. <laughs> and now I have to do good things for the right reason. Correct. Correct. You are absolutely right with that. That is exactly how you should be thinking. Because Proverbs 16, 2 says, uh, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And over again, he's saying he's going to judge it. He's going to judge our motive. He's going to look to see whether it was good or worthless. And I use the word worthless on purpose because our Bibles translate this word and they say, he's going to judge it whether it's good or bad. And the word bad, is, a, is a, it's not a good translation for the word. The word really means worthless. God's going to say, did you do stuff on earth that was good or stuff that was worthless? And he's going to base it on our motives. So it's not like you did evil things, okay? It's just stuff that doesn't matter. It's stuff that was done with wrong motives or you lived for stuff that wasn't important. And he's going to say, what did you do that was really important, that was good, and what was with a wrong motive? So he's going to weigh our motives and look at that and judge our motives. And he's going to give us rewards based on the things we did for the right motive. 
Okay, so let me illustrate to you some things. Because I prayed about this. I said, God, when I stand before you in that day, what are some things that I may have received credit in this earth for that I will not receive credit in heaven? You should pray that prayer sometimes. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. When I prayed that, God's like, okay, I'll tell you one. And I was like, okay, what am I not going to get credit for in heaven? And he said, you went on that Africa trip uh, and you went hunting with your boys. I was like, oh yeah, and let me tell you what happened. When we dedicated our campus in Swaziland, Connor, Logan, and I took two days and we went hunting at this game reserve. Now this game reserve uh, was owned by a friend of mine and he runs it as a ministry. And he said, hey, if you're gonna be in Africa, would you please come over to our game reserve and see this? And, and it's a hunting place and you can hunt. And he said, we raise money for our ministry uh, by having this game park and you, we allow people to shoot things. And of course we eat them and everything we shot, we ate. And I just wanna let you know, we, we fed people with this. It wasn't like shot and just left there. It was taken care of in that way and, and, and eaten. But he said, come on over and you can shoot some things. Whatever you shoot, you'll, you'll actually be able to give a donation to missions. I'm like, that's awesome. It makes sense to me. How cool is this? Uh, I'm doing this for missions. And uh, so I, I shot a kudu and uh, I wrote a check for missions, much more than Becca wished we wrote the check for missions. And uh, so we do that. Well, that shows up as a tax deduction to me. It shows up as I gave some money to their ministry because I went hunting. But I believe when I stand before God and he convicted me of this, he just said, hey, when you stand before me, there may show that you gave a donation to that 501c3 and that was a tax write-off and you helped that ministry, but guess what? Your motive wasn't good. And I think I'm gonna say, absolutely, God, you got me there, totally. Like, you got me. It was a fun father-son trip and I, I was able to do that and the kudu's hanging in my office and I got my reward. You're right, my motive wasn't right. It doesn't mean it was evil. It just was a worthless motive. How many are tracking with me? All right, you're like, he shot a kudu. Okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We ate it, all right. Let me give you one that doesn't involve shooting. All right, um, when Connor, our oldest son, went on the global team with church, the church paid, it was part of Kingdom Builders. We have two boys, Connor and Logan, and Logan's at home with us for 10 days. We thought we should pay for Logan to go. Let's send Logan, and we'll have 10 days for Rob and Becca time, right? Now, we paid. We put him on the missions trip. We did that. That would count as missions giving, but God's like, you know what your motive? Your motive was really to have 10 days Rob and Becca time. And once again, I think I'm going to stand before the Lord and go, correct, correct you are. I got my reward of those 10 days. You're right about that one. All right, so I just think that there's certain things. Now, now, here's the way I see it. There are things that are going to be surprises to me when I'm standing in that moment and surprises for you. There'll be checks that I wrote that I was moved with compassion for lost people with no ulterior motive. And God's going to say, that was gold to me. That was gold. He's going to say this to you, perhaps. Like, remember that day you were in the nursery and you didn't complain and you served joyfully and there was that explosive poopy diaper? That was precious stones to me. All right. And he's going to reward you for that. Okay. Things that we realize, like things that we do that, yeah, we're not going to get credit. And there's others that we are. And we're going to be surprised in that day. And he's going to judge in the right way. Now, some of you might say, well, if my motives aren't pure, then maybe I shouldn't do anything. You know, and maybe you're thinking, thank you, Pastor Rob, for a new excuse to say no to work, you know. Uh, I'm just going to say, no, my motives aren't pure, and that's why I can't lead a life group. You know, no, no, no. That's not the way we're going to do it around here, all right? Because here's what I'll tell you about this. We need to do stuff for God all the time, and here's why. We don't know our motives completely. 
We don't know our motives completely. We think we know our motives, and we think this, but only God really knows the true desires. Only God knows the true motives. How many know that even bad people that do bad things will say, but I had good motives. I had good motives. They think their motive is better than it is even when they're doing bad. And I think that if we don't know our motives, we need to get busy doing things for God and see what God says about our motives. So don't let it just be an excuse, like, I'm going to sit back because I don't know my motive and I don't think it's pure enough, and so I'm going to sit back and do nothing. And while I'm on that topic for just a second, let's stop assigning motive to other people. How quick we are to say, oh, the only reason they're giving is so they get noticed, or the only reason they did that and one of the global team is because it was, you know, this time and they went and, and so they only did it because of that and this and that. And so we, we do this about motives and we assign motives to other people. Let's not do that. We have a hard time knowing what our motive is. Let's not pretend to know why other people serve, give, go, and do that. Let's let them do it for God and let God weigh their motives, Okay. Another thing that I realize about this is, too, that sometimes that we don't know our motives and sometimes we're, you know, saying, well, if it's miserable, then it must be God. If it's miserable, then it must be God because then I know my motive's pure. You know, like if it's a missions trip, if it's a global team to Indonesia in November, you're like, oh, I'd be able to skip winter and Indonesia's warm, so I can't go. Send me to the cold places, Lord. Okay, how many know that just because it's miserable doesn't mean it's God? All right. Uh, let's just do whatever God says and let's not try to overthink this here. Let's be active for God because we don't always know our motives. Another thing that I've realized is wood is needed for the work. It's just not important. Okay, you say, what do you mean? Okay, ancient Jewish, Jewish rabbis would debate this. They'd say, if God knows the motives of our hearts and he knows what we're doing and why we're doing it, we need to do it with a right heart. Maybe we should do nothing. And they came to this conclusion, no, let's thank God for ambition. Let's thank God for people that want to do something for him, even if it's out of wrong motive, because when we get started in doing things, sometimes out of wrong motive, it can turn into right motive. Let's be thankful that people that are out there, that are enterprising, that are going for it and doing something are at least moving us forward for the cause. And in that movement, good motive can come out of that movement. Do something. Get working. Do something for God. So let's do it and say, you know, this wood is needed. Let me, let me tell you a couple things about this, uh, illustrating this. If I'm going to build an amazing building out of marble and granite and gold and precious stones, you know what I need to get started? I need like scaffolding made of wood. I need scaffolding around the building to get it started. But it's not the main thing, but it's needed to get to the main thing. Or better yet, if I'm mining for gold and silver and precious stones, I may line the mine shaft with wood to hold the shaft open, but it's all about getting to the gold. So there is a need for wood. It's just not that important. So let's not, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's do this. Let's do all that we can. And it's interesting because I think it changes. Things that sometimes start with a wood motive or hay or stubble move to the next level. Imagine this, you know, you join the worship team because you're an amazing guitar player and you serve on the worship team for 20 years and you stand before God and you're like, hey, I served you, I did the worship team. He goes, yeah, but you know what? The first five years you served on the worship team, you did it because you thought you were a pretty hot guitar player and you did it because, you know, you wanted everybody to know how good you were. And he said, but you know what? Here's the thing, something happened in year six 
And you know what happened? You started to change, and all of a sudden, your motive became more for me. And that was like a silver time from years five to 10. But year 11, man, you really brought it to another level. And then that worship leading and play turned to gold. And you know what, man, boy, by the end of your time leading worship and being a part of the band, it was gold, silver, precious stone. But it started there and moved to good. Which leads me to this thought. It takes a lifetime to get to pure motives. It takes a lifetime to get to pure motives. You think, well, I wait until I get to pure motives. It just takes forever to get there. The longer I serve God, the more I realize what was my motive there? Why did I do that? Oh, I, I didn't have a good motive. And I, I feel like I'm refining my motives. And they're getting better and better. And they're getting closer to God. And, and the other thing that I've learned about this is the motive percentage moves. Sometimes I'm doing things out of poor motive and then good motive and then great motive and then right back to poor motive. How many know that? And the flesh rears its ugly head and it's back to poor moment. You're like, no, no, don't do that. Okay, back to good moment. Okay, and, and I'm trying to stay over here, but every once in a while the flesh comes in and I do things out of the wrong motive. But it moves your whole life and I want God to be able to judge the percentage. He's the great judge. And it, it doesn't give us an excuse not to examine our motives. We need to examine them you know, God may be calling you step out of the spotlight, embrace anonymity. You don't, you don't need to give that gift to get your name recognized. You do it in an anonymous way. God may tell you to hold your tongue on the credit. How many know that's really hard? You know, they're like, hey, great job, Tim. What a great job. You did great on the project. And you're like, no, it wasn't Tim. It was Rob. Rob did a great job. And you're, and you're clapping for And you're like, he, he didn't do it. How many know that's really hard to hold your tongue? because you want the credit. And God's like, hey, 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 hold, hold, hold. I know who did it. There's coming a day that I'll judge, but you want to say like, I, I did it. But God's like, hold your tongue, have the right motive, do it because you love me, not because you get the credit. We can deflect the praise and say, you know what, hey, so maybe you did it. And then God's like saying, deflect it. Let everybody share the victory. It's not just yours. Let everybody share, okay? And, and the last thought on that um, would be this. Let's give God something to burn. Let's give God something to burn. On Judgment Day, let's get there. Remember, this is, this is a moment that whatever we have is gonna be there and he's gonna burn it. He's gonna try it. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. My theory is this. I want a giant tile for God to burn. That's my theory. I want a giant pile for God to burn, knowing that all these piles are gonna shrink. I want a giant pile to say, this is all that I did on this earth for you, God. And then God can burn it down. And I kind of view it as like, how many have ever been to Mongolian barbecue or a place like that, where you, you put your food in the bowl and you think you got a lot, and then you go and they cook it and it's like this little plate. How many know that? And the skilled people at Mongolian barbecue know how to extend the bowl by using firm vegetables, you know, and you, you get it bigger and then you pile that plate and you give them a big thing because you know when it's put on the fire, it's going to shrink. So my theory is this, I'm just going to learn how to extend everything and give God the biggest pile of stuff to burn and hoping that the percentage is good in there. That's what I'm hoping, knowing that I don't always know my heart and that I'm going to do everything I can because you know what? This is a time test. This is a time test. What you do on this earth matters for this day. And the only time you can get anything in that pile is right now. And it's a time test. And I don't know about you, but if I think the clock is ticking and it was getting closer, my theory was like if I had 30 questions left and the teacher said one minute, I just went at that moment, A, B, C, D, B, C, D, A, B, C, B. I just thought, let's try to get lucky, all right? You know, quantity of answers, you know? 
That's what I was trying. So I'm just thinking, let's just do all we can. Let's give God a pile of stuff to burn, and he'll test the motives. And over time, our motives will get better, okay? He'll know when we did it out of loving God and loving man, and when we did it out of envy and personal ambition, love of praise, he'll be able to judge that. So why should we be motivated? Why? A couple things, and this is that second passage. Paul gave it to us in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 9, he, does, he says this, so we make it our goal to please him. You should do this because you want to please him. You should do things for God because you want to please him. Secondly, in verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due to us for the things we've done in the, while in the body. He's saying, Jesus will reward us. There's coming a day. He told us. He told us this day is coming, and he says, I'm going to give you a reward based on what you did and why you did it, have something there to be tested. So we're going to do it because he's going to reward us. Third, he says, Christ's love compels us. He said, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. It's in me. It oozes out of me. It's forcing me. A follower of Jesus Christ is like forced to go do things because the love of God is in you and through you. And so he's saying, go do it. And then in verse 15, he's basically saying, because people will get saved, because lives will be changed for eternity. That's why you give. That's why you go. That's why you serve, because lives are changed for eternity. And so we just keep doing it. We say, I, I, I don't care why. I just want to go and do this. I want to do it for you. And God, help me to re refine my motives, and, and may they mature and be more like you. And may I embrace anonymity, and may I embrace the lowest place, and may I use my gift of, uh, of serving, and may I use my gifts and talents not to lord over people, but to use that leadership to lift them up. See, you're using that to advance the cause, but you do it because people get saved. So what are you going to do with all these things? You get all this big pile, and he burns it down, and it shrinks, and there's something. What are you going to do? Are you going to decorate your mansion with it? You know, no. Are you going to turn it into a gold chain and be walking around like somebody from Jersey, like with a gold nugget chain? Yeah, this is my rewards. I did this for the Lord. I got a nugget chain and a nugget bracelet. Hey, you know, I mean, you know, it's not going to be like that in heaven, okay? No offense, Jersey. All right. It's not going to be like that. In Revelation chapter 4, here's what it says is going to happen. It gives us insight. It talks about the elders taking their crowns off, victor's crown, all these crowns, martyr's crown, all these crowns, and they lay them at the feet of Jesus. So get this. You're going to have a day before God where he's going to take everything you did for him, try it, test it, burn it down, and then he's going to give it to you, and then you know what you're going to do? You're going to give it back to him. And you're going to say, I did it all for you. I did it for you because I love you. This is my gift to you. This is the greatest party in the world. And I'm telling you, this is your pastor right now. You want to have a gift on that day to give to Jesus. The Bible says some will be there like they escaped out of fire, like they got saved on their deathbed, or they got saved and they never did much for God at all. I have this vision of those people being in the designated clapping section. Like, hey, we're glad we're here. We got in. I got no gift for you, but I'm here. I'm a designated clapper. You know what? I don't want to be a designated clapper that day. I want to be somebody that has something and says, God, I did it for you. I did it for you, for your glory and for your honor here. Here's the gift. And I think it's going to matter. And I think it really is an important thing that we stand there and say, God, we do this for your glory and for your honor. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, I make no apology for asking you to give and to do kingdom builders and global project and presenting missionaries to you. I, I make no apology for saying serve, help us to save people. Let's be an active church, be in a life group. Let's do this together because I know that day is coming. 
And I want that to be a good day. I want that to be a good day. And if it's possible in heaven for you to look up your pastor, I want you to be able to say, hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me busy because I had a huge pile to burn and I had an amazing gift for God. Thank you for keeping us busy and keeping us on mission because I was able to give something to my Savior instead of being in the designated clapping section. That's my goal as your pastor. Last thought, and I'll close with this. Here's how I think with this. How many know the show, Antique Roadshow? How many know that show on PBS, all right? People find stuff in their attic or they have something given to them from a relative and they think it's valuable. And they bring it into an appraiser and the appraiser will sometimes say, no, that painting is not worth anything. Your grandpa wasn't famous, you know. That was, it's a good painting for you, but it's not worth anything. And other times they'll find stuff that people bought at a garage sale and they're like, that's priceless. It's amazing, that's worth half a million dollars. And the people are so surprised. Here's the thing I wanna drive home about this. Most of the people, when they find a priceless treasure in their home, don't sell it. I know you're thinking, I was thinking they would sell it. Like you find out that painting is worth a half a million dollars. You're like, sell, sell, sell. Most people that find something valuable in their home, you know what they want to do? They want to hold on to it and they want to give it to somebody they love. They want to give it to somebody they love. And they want to say, this is for you. It's valuable, and I love it, and I love you. And I think that that's what we're going to do with our treasures. We're going to have them, and instead of saying, sell, 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 we're going to say, I'm so glad that I could take what I have and give it to the one I love. God, take it. Take it. It's yours. It's for your glory. It's for your honor. I love you. And I think he's going to say back to us, I love it. Well done. Well done. Well done. So as we live this week, let's give God something to burn up. Let's pray that it's gold, silver, precious stones. Let's pray that the purity of our motive moves. But let's be working towards that day because if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're all going to be there. And I don't want you in the designated clapping section. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to realize every little bit of service matters. The Bible says a cold drink of water done in your name to somebody who's thirsty will be rewarded. I don't know if that's gold, silver, or precious stones, but I know you say it'll be rewarded. You say everything that we sacrificed in this life will be rewarded in eternity. I don't know how it works, but I know that you said it was there, and so I pray we'd work accordingly. You said today's the time that we could do it. Today's the day that we could make a difference. We could bring people into salvation. We could work for your glory and for your honor, and so God, I pray that we'd work while we can. Thank you, God, for that. I pray that you purify our motives, Lord. I pray that you purify us and we do it with the right heart. But I pray, God, we'd always be busy on every occasion, knowing that our motives move and knowing that we can be busy for our Lord and Savior because on that day, we want to give you something because we love you. So blessing on this church, blessing on them now as they work for your glory, knowing they can't work their way into heaven, but they're working for that day to have a treasure to give back to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Blessings on this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.